This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The problems with payday loans are being addressed finally by the federal government. The White House announced rules late last week to try and curb the issues with repayment. In many cases, people, of course, are borrowing money against their paychecks, but are expected to pay the money back within two weeks and add in a hefty interest payment. It has been a big issue, especially in towns where the U.S. military has bases as well. To take a look at some of the changes announced, we are welcoming in Jer- Jeremy Tabachman, who is an assistant professor in Wharton's Department of Business, Economics, and Public Policy. And also with us is Creola Johnson, who's a professor of law at The Ohio State University. Jeremy, Creola, great to have you on the show. Thank Thanks you for having us. Thank you. Uh, what's the most important piece for each of you to these new rules? Jeremy, I'll start with you. Well, there's... The central feature of the new rules is an ability to repay requirements. The typical model in the past for the uh, the industry has been to earn a lot of money off of a sequence of finance charges. And uh, as a result, the underwriting procedures that they used were not geared towards trying to detect which borrowers would be likely to be re- to be able to repay the loans in full at their first due date. Cree, what's the most important thing for you? Um, there's a section in the, the proposed rules that deals with attempts by payday lenders to change what they're doing. So what I call um, the chameleon, if you will, I'll change to this so that I can argue I'm not covered by the rules. So for example, in the state of Ohio, payday lending um, statute was passed to curb payday lending. The Ohio has a second mortgage lending act that payday lenders got licenses to operate under. So they're not issuing mortgages. The Most um, payday lending customers don't own their home. But nevertheless, because Ohio law didn't specifically require a mortgage under the Second Mortgage Lending Act, payday lenders started getting licenses to operate under that new law, uh, uh, excuse me, under that pre-existing law, so that they could continue to um, issue triple-digit interest rate loans. The CAPB's new rule would then say any artifice device shenanigans basically to evade the rules you would still be covered. In other words, specifically the CFPB is saying we're looking to the substance of what's going on, not to some way that you've tweaked the transaction to try to pretend like you're not issuing payday loans. The the state rules versus what what the federal government is talking about is an interesting point to bring up because there are, I guess there's around 12, 13 states that that do have ro- rules for this Cree and so many states that, that probably haven't addressed it as, as tightly as they should? That's correct. And even when states try to do it, so there are several states besides Ohio that have passed legislation to curb payday lending. So, for example, in the state of Ohio, a payday loan interest rate is supposed to be capped at 28%. There are limits on how um, much can be lent, how often a person can obtain a loan. And yet what payday lenders started doing was creating contracts 
that created a longer long-term um, loan so that they could say, well, it's not a payday loan because the long-term is more than two weeks. Or, it's not a payday loan because we've decided now we're going to operate under this act. Or, say, for example, in, um, there's a current problem with what we call rent-a-tribe. That yeah. is to say payday lenders partnering with someone who lives on a Native American reservation having an agreement to allow those loans to be technically issued from the reservation so that the payday lender could argue that, well, we don't have to abide by the state law where the consumer resides. Instead, the loan is being issued from this Native American reservation, and therefore we don't have to conform with any state law requirements where this consumer resides. So again, this provision would deal with attempts to get around these new rules. And, and Jeremy, obviously, these are companies, and it's been well documented, uh, that, that, as Creed just mentioned, they are looking any way they possibly can to kind of skirt the rules that are out there, whether that they be federal or at the state level. Uh, well, it's certainly true that there are a variety of, of related products. And, um, and there have also been a variety of uh, illegal behaviors that have been uh, uh, have been subject to enforcement actions by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and the FTC. So uh, I think that there's a that among the the various payday lenders, some are trying to skirt the rules and some aren't. Some are just trying to uh, to offer products that they think are useful. Um, and uh, one of the things that I think uh, is impressive and sensible about the new rules that were issued, um, and I think I'm really just rephrasing uh, Cree's point, is that the the rules are designed to encompass many of these possible substitutes and to provide a sort of clear new framework for everything um, that might be a, um, an alternative to a payday loan. And, and part of this is also, uh, at least from what I read that was announced, uh, Jeremy, is that they're also trying to address car title loans uh, and, and also high-interest installment loans as well. That's right. That's correct. Creek, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, uh, so, for example, our car title loans, in case your listeners don't know, uh, to get a car title loan, sometimes called auto title loan, the consumer has to own the car outright. So if you've got a 2010 Ford Explorer that you've paid, all, paid the loan off, you could take that car, go to a car title lender. They will lend you a fraction of the amount of what that car is worth. So if the car is worth... 10000 they will lend you 3000 And then you have to pay that amount back within, usually by the end of 30 days. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure <laughs> out that that's a lot of money to have to come up with uh, in 30 days. And payday lenders and car title lenders are considered cousins. That is to say, the transactions are similar in the sense that the consumer is being asked to pay, pay a large amount of money in a short period of time. And whatever you pay normally does not reduce the principal. So for the consumers who understand uh, home mortgages, right, when you get a house, every month you make a payment, so much interest and so much principal is being paid as a result of that payment. With car title loans and payday loans, if you pay an amount to extend the due date of the loan, that amount does not count towards reducing the principal that is owed. So that that's problematic because people keep paying fees to extend the due date because they cannot pay that large amount of money 
in a short period of time. Um, and so with car title lending, uh, the CFPB has passed regulations to try to deal with that as well so that people can actually wind up with a loan they can pay back. And the the real problem with, of course, car title lending is that if you default and they can't get you to come in and make a partial payment, yep. they can literally repossess your car. Um, and an enforcement action by the West Virginia Attorney General a couple of years ago uh, the couple of payday lenders repossessed over 200 vehicles. And just imagine if you lost your transportation, right. how difficult it would be to get to work and therefore keep a job. Do you think that, that the, these changes that the CFPB and, and the government want to bring forward, do they address enough of the problem? Or is this, is this just kind of the, the first step in a process, Craig? I don't know if the CFPB is calling this a first first step, but there are issues with um, payday lending that are not covered covered by the CFPB in these proposed rules. So, for example, um, payday lenders are notoriously known for threatening people with arrest, okay, if they defaulted on a loan. And that's because when payday loans first came on the scene, a person had to give a post-dated check in return for getting the loan. So you give them a post-dated check for 350 they give you 300 cash, and in two weeks you're supposed to come back and pay the 350 right. If you don't pay it, the check gets dishonored. And so what was happening was that payday lenders were threatening people and actually filing criminal complaints to have people arrested for passing a bad check. Over time, a lot of actual arrests went down, but it has come to light in the last three years, four years, that some payday lenders, particularly in the state of Texas, were still getting people arrested by filing criminal complaints with the local district attorney mm-hmm. that they had passed a, ba- a bad check, that is to say a hot check that consumers may know about. And so the rules don't specifically get into um, dealing with this issue of threatening people with arrest. And that's really a problematic because a lot of people are paying debts they don't even owe or debts that they have paid off because of the threats of arrest. That is to say, they believe they'll be arrested, and payday lenders are often able to extract a lot more money out of them because of that. And Ace Cash Express, which is the second largest payday lender in the United States, mm-hmm. an enforcement action was brought by the CFPB a couple of years ago against them, and that was one of the allegations against them was threatening people with arrest, having people fear being arrested to get them to pay amounts that they didn't owe or to get them to pay amounts in excess of what they owed. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866, if you'd like to jump in. Jeremy, in terms of what has been brought forth playing off of Cree's comments, do you think that, that the moves by the CFPB go far enough? I'll put it a little bit differently. I'll say that I think that they've been carefully crafted in the sense that the CFPB has done a lot of very careful data analysis to document the patterns, mm-hmm. and, um, and they have uh, tried to collect uh, extensive information from, uh, from consumer groups, from industry, and from other people uh, working in this area, including the research community. So I think that the um, and there's also some evolution in the proposal from the uh, the small business review, which is you can think of it as a uh, as a prior step 
um, in the in the rulemaking process. So I, I think that this imposition of the ability to repay underwriting standard is one that is easily articulated, um, and I think also relatively easily implementable uh, by the the lenders that choose to try to keep operating under it. So. Um, so that simplicity, I think, is is probably deliberate on the CFPB's side, and it's also a pretty straightforward uh, step from the uh, central finding in CFPB's empirical work that default is uh, default rates are incredibly high on all of the uh, the covered products addressed by this regulation. And um, and the the high default rates have all of these consequences uh, that including uh, collections behavior, which is um, uh, which is at the very least problematic for for the uh, the delinquent borrowers and mm-hmm. oftentimes uh, illegal in the sense of violating the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Um, and uh, there are sort of all these other follow-ons that uh, that for whatever reason, tend to be commonly associated with these types of, uh, of products, um, especially when the, the loans become delinquent. So one way to reduce the, uh, the harms to consumers associated with those follow-on behaviors by the lenders and associated collections agencies is by imposing this new standard that uh, the loans can't be made unless there's an expectation that the uh, that the borrowers, borrowers will be able to repay. So in that sense, I think it's um, I, I think it's very deliberately crafted, mm-hmm. um, and uh, um, I think that that that's a um, that's an in, an interesting um, fact, and it's not always the case. Cree, how significant of a problem is it there in Ohio right now, and and what are some of the other states where this is a significant problem that needs to be addressed immediately? Are you asking about a particular uh, payday lending requirement, or no? Just just in, general? just in general, the problem the problems with payday loans, uh, because as I mentioned at the top, uh, uh, the okay, the so military for, the military made their statement a few right, months that's back. Right. That's right. So 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 for your listening audience, um, in 2006, Congress passed the Military Lending Act to deal with payday loans issued, and not just payday loans, rent-to-own transactions, other credit transactions considered problematic for people in the military. And in particular, with respect to payday loans, they capped the interest rate to military personnel, active-duty military personnel, at 36% interest rate. And they did some other um, things to try to curb it. And then what happened after that was payday lenders were just basically tweaking what they did to get around the Military Lending Act, right? So they would make the loan term longer, uh, make the amount financed a different amount. And so in 2015, the Department of Defense expanded the definition of, of, of what we call payday loans um, so that we could try to curb it. The payday loan rules, however, under the Military Lending Act, they don't go into effect until October of this year. Mm-hmm. So. Right now, we don't actually know what the payday lenders are going to do in response to this to see if these new rules issued by the Department of Defense will actually make um, the loans that are being issued to military personnel actually comply with these new regs, right? And yep. then, then you mentioned a few minutes ago that another state is Arizona, right, where um, 2010 
payday lending um, was effectively prohibited, right, by statewide referendum. And yet um, you've got regulators finding out that they have done things. What they, so, for example, instead of calling them payday loans, they'll call them installment loans. Sure, yeah. Or they'll call them something else. And so what in Arizona is another state where despite regulations, they are evading the new requirements because they're doing something slightly different. Uh, Virginia is another place, 2009, where they amended their Payday Lending Act, um, adding a 45-day cooling-off period right between we, when you can get uh, the next loan, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so we've got to see. And part of what I would like to see is a national database. Um, and I know, you know, when we hear database, it's like, okay, Uncle Sam <laughs> is watching you. But if you think about it, if you say the consumer is not supposed to be able to get so many loans within a year, then how can you actually track if that's happening, Right. And it's only through a database you can actually figure out if payday lenders are complying with that because they would have to submit the name, et cetera, of folks who are getting the payday loans or not necessarily the names, but say, for example, an account number so that we can make sure that a person is not getting multiple loans to try to keep the person from being indebted. Um, Go ahead. ahead. Finish Uh, up. So one of the things that – has not gotten enough media attention is that there's a carve-out for credit unions who give these payday alternative loans. Um, they're called PALs. Okay. Payday, pay, payday alternative loans. And so I don't want the audience to, you know, listen to the mantra of the industry basically saying, okay, well, if if you do this, then there won't be any short-term affordable loans to consumers. When in case when that is not the case, so two national credit union associations uh, have supported and pushed for the CFPB to do a carve out. They wanted a carve out for credit unions in general, but right. that's not what the CFPB did. Instead, there's a carve out for these payday alternative loans. Uh, in, uh, notably, these loans have an interest rate capped at 28 percent. Application fees cannot be greater than twenty dollars. Uh, there can be no uh, Payday loans, excuse me, payday pals. The pals can't be more than three pals within a six-month period. Okay. Right. And so this is a good thing because the 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 part of the financial industry that we think of as being more responsive to consumer needs, that is to say, credit unions. This is a chance for the credit unions to have the opportunity to go out and market these pals in a way so that consumers will realize that they still have access to short-term credit, and this is, in fact, a more affordable short-term credit. Jeremy, what do you think ends up being the the impact on on this industry with these new specific changes that the CFPB is bringing forward? I think that there's a a consensus that lots of payday lenders are going to exit if this rule goes into force. Uh, I I haven't heard a dissenting comment from that view. Would it, do you think that they would be going out of business or they would just be reorganizing as as another type of entity to be able to kind of, again, like like Cree was saying, kind of work around the rules that are that are in place? Uh, I haven't seen careful projections about that, so I'm pretty unsure. If I had to take a guess, I'd guess that lots of stores will close. Uh, but there's also a question about what structure the the lenders have now. And over the last decade, we've seen an enormous 
portion of the payday lending business go online. So if you're if somebody's running a, an online payday lender now, then probably they've, they've paid uh, a lot of fixed costs in order to get their algorithms set up, and they might still be able to uh, to keep going just at lower volumes and tighter underwriting standards. So in terms of the number of operators, uh, my guess is that we might not see that big a reduction um, online. In terms of the bricks-and-mortar stores that have uh, higher marginal costs of, uh, uh, of staying in business and continuing to operate, I bet a lot of them are going to close. Cree? Um, I... Um I'm, I'm not so sure that's true. I, the, the National uh, Law uh, Consumer Law Center, they have come out with step-by-step uh, um, step of the loopholes that they think still exist uh, within these new rules. So, for example, um, the rules say you're supposed to assess the ability of the borrower to repay, but that's not all loans, right? There are certain loans, if you meet certain requirements, the payday lender doesn't have to do an assessment of the person's ability to repay. And, and that's problematic if you think about, and Jeremy knows more about this than I do, in the social science area, showing, and the CFPB research has found, consumers tend to be overly optimistic about good things happening to them yeah. and minimizing bad things happening to them. So, for example, in the context of can you pay in two weeks or can you pay within a month, if you're thinking, all right, I'm going to get my tax refund, and so I'll be able to pay this back, and then your refund is not as great as you think it's going to be, then you're now in a situation where you have a loan that you could not pay, even though that loan technically met the requirements, but because there was no assessment to actually repay, the person will find him or herself still unable to repay this loan, and therefore on this debt trap, again, that we are concerned about. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to join in. We're talking with Jeremy Tabachman of the Wharton School, Cree Johnson from The Ohio State University, professor of law there. Again, 844-942-7866. I guess, Jeremy, then uh, part of this would also go to the changes that the CFPB is, is trying to bring forward. Uh, the fact that states have the some states have these rules in in place right now, and whether or not we will see a continued push to really just protect the consumer as much as possible, and maybe even have tougher rules down the road. Um, it's not impossible. Uh, you know, CFPB has been working on these rules for a long time, and my guess is that they are unlikely to revisit the issue after the final rule is uh, is rolled out um, in, in the near future after that. Um, there's also certainly a question about uh, what may change in Washington after this November. Cree? Um, it's possible that they could revisit. So, so assuming that um, the election results um, doesn't wind up with a uh, action plan to, 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 to hobble the CFPB, which there have been numerous bills over the last few years to try to limit the CFPB's authority. If that doesn't happen, then the CFPB can do just like the Department of Defense has done, right? So I said earlier that, you know, it's been 10 years 
since uh, the Military Lending Act was passed by Congress. And last year, the Department of Defense said, okay, now that we see the loopholes and now that we see how they've tried to figure out how to get around those, now we've got these new rules. And I think that the CFPB, which Jeremy has already said, has been very good at doing research, has been very good at documenting data. If a few years from now we see that the loop, there are loopholes actually being exploited to get around these payday lending rules, uh, then I think that we can expect the CFPB to close those loopholes. I think what they're thinking now is they've come up with a, a strong set of rules that they think may work. And remember what I said earlier, we've got that carve-out for PALS, payday yeah. alternative loans. So that is a, a concurrent experiment, right, to see how well that goes. And therefore, if there's no need to, to tighten the rules further because we've got this push towards consumers getting PALS, then we have consumers doing what we want all along, which is to seek out and obtain loans that are safer for the consumer. When's the, when's the expectation then that these rules uh, would be able to be put in place then? I think the comment period ends on September 14th, uh, and then the comments get reviewed. I, I don't know exactly the time frame after that. So, right. I, I, I haven't seen a timeline after that, but the comment period for payday lenders and other concerns uh, individuals and companies and organizations, they can submit comments. They'll review those comments. We'll get a summary of what the CFPB thinks about that. I would imagine that the new rules will not go into effect until 2017. Great to have you both on the show. Thanks very much. Greatly appreciate it. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.